Hi, I'm Marcus Dip Silas. And I'm Jaffif Chu. And you're listening to the Dip Chu Podcast. On the Dip Chu Podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. Jafeth! Hey buddy, how's it going? Pretty good. It's been really hot. Hasn't been raining, so we feel a little crazy. <laughs> we feel like we're going crazy with the heat. How have you been uh, coping with um, the stringent lockdown in KL? Honestly, for us, running a kindergarten, there's not much difference. Meaning to say that Kindergartens has been the only thing since this year that they've allowed to open all throughout the year. But because of the latest MCO, we do find a lot more of our kids staying home and going online. Whatever SOPs that the Malaysian government is implementing, we can clearly see a double standard, Mm. right? Yeah. There's been double standard in enforcing and double standard in dealing out with consequences so uh, on one hand like i mean i would i would say that the whole process has been quite messy and arbitrary but it's been important that you know we follow Mm. sops at the same time in the virus doesn't recognize sops right correct like i read a few days ago that um there was a ruling that people can only spend two hours in a mall because the idea is you want to minimize exposure time, right? And then some people take that like government say I can spend two hours in a mall. So that means I can spend two hours, you know, outside. La. I can do whatever activity outside. The virus doesn't wait two mm. hours. And then it's like, okay, government said two hours. Now correct, I'm on the clock. Correct, I'm yeah. going to come after you, right? So so if someone's going to contract mm. it, it's, it, it is going to happen. And I think that also the concerning thing for many, even Christians... Mm was previously um, COVID seemed to be very far away from our communities, mm. right? Remember when we were talking with um, Uni, Uni was mentioning that mm. the Malaysian church is predominantly Chinese, predominantly middle class, right? Correct. So a, a lot of these uh, predominantly middle class Chinese people don't have to go to some of the places where mm. COVID was spreading really fast. So for a long time, I was just talking with someone uh, and the word that she used was for a long time, it felt like we were invincible. Mm. It almost played into this idea that God is protecting us. You know, like it really fed that uh, Mm. uh, idea because we're like, yeah, churches can still meet. People are still, you know, fellowshipping, doing uh, uh, whether they are having cell groups at home or whatever, Mm. meeting with people, right? It's not in our community. So God must be protecting Mm. us. And then of of late, it has entered into church communities mm. and now yeah. it is going around in church communities and that's mm. the the scary part is that, mm. you know, it's, it's at the level where um, people we know have had their grandparents mm. affected yeah. by COVID and passed on, right? It's, yeah. it's coming so much closer to home. So I think on one hand, mm. SOPs are humans' best approximations um, to help prevent the cases from spreading. However, the best approximations um, are not 
it's not authority for for viruses. Mm, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the 8 to 8 p.m. rule, right? It's it's so dumb, right? Are you saying that 801, there'll be no more virus out there? Yeah. And because they cut down the hours, everyone is scrambling before Correct. 8 p.m. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, the LRT train was full. Mm. And then it crashed, right? There's way over capacity as well, right? Yeah. I mean, one train was empty, right? So that, mm. that means that the 200 people that were injured, not including mm. those who were not injured, was mm. all in one train. Mm. <laughs> For a little context, uh, there was a, a, a train accident, the worst of um, train accidents in the history of mm. Malaysia this last week, where I think it was 230-something people, if I'm not mistaken, um, like that. were injured. And out of that, like 100 plus were seriously injured. Um, I think it was 50, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the LRT trains are small. They are tiny, <laughs> you know? So what 50% rule? There wasn't, you know? And it's because, if, if you ask me, why were the trains so full? Why were there so many people? It's because of that stupid rule. 8 p.m., are you serious? Everyone is going to crowd into that train to get home quickly, you know? Ah, my gosh. And then after that, you know, human error, they said. It was, one, it was just one guy's fault. He drove on the road on the wrong direction. I mean, how does that even happen? And then you have, you have politicians who make light of the situation, yeah. who talk about the trains kissing. Oh my gosh, don't even. <laughs> it's quite crazy. Like, I think, yeah, yeah, we are definitely living in, in um, precarious times, I guess. I mean, just, you know, when you thought that things probably couldn't get worse and then you hear news like that and people's responses and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> So this week's conversation um, revolves around church. We get to actually dig into the thing that we uh, have been wanting to talk about for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was someone that we wanted to talk to for a long time too about Correct. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'm, um, I'm really uh, excited because the conversation in this episode is really good. Um, I think our guest, Melanie Lim, um, offers so much rich and balanced perspective. Mm. So I think before we start, we'll clarify like what we're talking about today um, isn't the conventional idea of house church, right? Um, which that might, once people listen to this episode, uh, might might draw an approximation to or kind of try to categorize maybe in their minds subconsciously Mm. or consciously but it isn't about moving a location of the church to Mm. a house right and therefore house church this is so much deeper and so much um, more complex than that yeah absolutely and i think melanie just does such a great job in not just putting together her years of study and her years of research into this mm. but yeah she like she gives her whole heart into this and and so when she talks you know like it's not like it's not coming from the i have figured out everything but like i am doing this with a bunch of people and we are trying to figure this out mm-hmm. you know yeah this is an experiment this is something that we are learning together we're learning and we're growing together mm. you know on how yeah on how church can be different Mm. so I think that's what I really appreciate even just when talking to her so 
I mean, we've said a lot. Let's um, <laughs> let's listen to this conversation with our guest today. So today on our podcast, we have none other than Melanie Lim. Melanie enjoys a good laugh and a good read. She loves exploring the why behind all things, yet find pleasures in the simple things of life. She generally enjoys getting to know people and burns with a desire to see them transformed by the love of God, living out their faith in every area of their lives. She desires to see the church walking worthy of her calling, discerning and responding to God's call to live missionally as we prepare for the return of the Bridegroom King. She is currently a theology research student at the Asia Graduate School of Theology Alliance, reimagining church and investing her life in ventures that bring about a more just ecosystem. For all our listeners out there, Melanie is a dear friend of the both of us. So you did a master's in Christian... Master's in Christian studies, yeah. That was in 20... 2012. 2012? Oh, that's 10 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was 2012. That's twelve, nine years ago. Okay, yeah. So you did it at the Baptist Seminary as well, right? In Penang. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I guess I'm interested in our conversations. Like you and I have talked about how you see yourself as, um, a student mm. of life or in life, right? Like learning is something that kind of never stops. Yes, yeah. I love learning. I realize I come alive when I'm learning, and when I'm not learning. I think a bit of me died. Mm. Yeah. So like there was a time in my life where I'm not learning anything and I'm working in church and I just intuitively go back to the seminary and take some classes. And then mm. I try to learn different languages on memories <laughs> mm. because I'm just not learning. And I think like when, when I'm not learning, there's yeah, just a part mm. of me that's just dying. So I, I want to be learning all the mm. time. Yeah. And by learning, you you mean academic learning, right? Like studying, is that what you mean? It doesn't have to be academic learning, but I guess something intellectually stimulating mm. would be good. Yeah. The three of us have been friends for a long, long time. Over 10 years. I've never not known you to be a person who is picking up a new book or reading something very theological and intellectually stimulating, as you mentioned. Did you kind of grow up in a house that encouraged learning? Mm, actually, well, yes and no. So my, my dad uh, is always reading, uh, even when he's driving at, <laughs> with the red light. Because <laughs> when he was working, he was uh, taking like part-time classes with the seminary. So, you know, he have a lot of readings and assignments. So he's always reading. Mm. Um, but I don't... I actually don't read when I was a teenager. I don't read anything besides the Bible. Mm. <laughs> so it was actually wow. in the seminary that I discovered the joy of learning. Because, you know, mm. in school, it's mm. all about like memorizing facts and information. And it's just studying for the sake of studying. But in the seminary, especially in doing research, um, it's almost like a new playground opened up for me. It's mm. like so much fun there there's so many so many things that you can learn and discover and and you come up with new understanding proposing new ways to see things um and it's it's just really fun i think it is in the seminary that i discovered the joy of learning for many people it's going to seminary is where the joy of learning dies (laughs) (laughs) i guess it's also dependent on, on like which seminary you go to yeah. The one that I went to, I don't think that's a, there was a lot of learning at all. 
as long as I've known you, I've I've known you to process things from a very like academic framework. Like even when we play games like um <laughs> Werewolf or Mafia for people who have never played Werewolf, like you have a very systematic way of approaching topics, dissecting and kind of getting your hands dirty. Like you're not just caught up in you you ask the big questions, but you also you know, work with your hands and, and stuff. So what is the current project that you have been approaching or the current topic that you have approached with this kind of systematic thinking and you are peeling back the layers? Hmm. Currently, the big uh, question that I'm asking is what is church? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really uh, trying to re redefine or reimagine how we do church Mm. Uh, because of the people that I see around me who are struggling with church people Mm. who are legitimately following Jesus who are trying to love Mm. Jesus trying to follow him with all their life but they're struggling with church you know they're not struggling their struggle is not really in their relationship with God they want to live that out Mm. but it seems it seems like the church structure is not uh, accommodating to that that it's mm. almost like they have to leave in order to leave that kind of faith. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to understand this, I'm trying to understand how our generation live out our Christian faith. How do we follow Jesus uh, mm. and what that means? And, and well, one, one extreme is one danger is that no, we can just go there and with, oh, this is my relationship with God and this is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question then is, if God puts us in community, he made us to be communal beings, right? Mm-hmm. Then how do we live this out in community? How do we do community? Uh, and I think that is the question of church. How do we do church? Mm. Uh, essentially, because church essentially is community, right? So yeah. however you do church, that is the structure mm. that comes into place in, in, in supporting that community. And structure is supposed to, to serve people. And when people mm. are to serve the structure, yeah. it means that there's something broken about a structure that is that is not serving people. Yeah. yeah. So what have you, in your journey of asking these questions, what have you, I, I, I don't know, I guess found out or like realized um, so far? One of uh, the people who have really helped me uh, in this thinking is actually Howard Snyder. It's a bit old, actually, in the 1960s, uh, this stuff. Um, and he talks about this church structure, the parachurch structure. So he, he talks about the church as a community and whatever denomination, uh, whatever, you know, you know how like currently in our church, they say we are church and then you are parachurch organizations. Mm. And you, if you are, even if you are with a parachurch organization, you have to be part of the church. Um, but he calls all this uh the even denominational structures, he called them terra church because what is the church is the, is the community, is the people. Mm. So whatever structure wow. that is supporting it is like he calls it terra church. So differentiating church as community and church as structure uh, actually really helps me in thinking about. So then how, so if the, the, the church is actually the community, the people, how mm. do we find structures that serve that? So that is, that is one of the, uh, discoveries so mm. from, from Howard Snyder yeah. so in that sense it's kind of breaking down that concept that we've previously had that said like okay it's, it's good for you to join a prayer house to join uh, 
youth prayer movement, all that stuff. But, you know, we always have this thing of like, oh, you need covering, right? I guess that's the Asian mm. word for it, especially because, you know, we are very hierarchical. We have very hegemonic systems here in terms of where you come from, who's your pastor, kind of those questions, right? So you need covering. But this idea would be that any gathering mm. of believers is essentially church. Is that correct? And any community, it is church. But then then we have the question of then how do you build a, a, a not lasting, but a more permanent not like permanent, permanent that it never mm. changes, but mm-hmm. permanent enough that it keeps the community together. Yeah. Right? Mm. If not, I'm happy I'm with, I am I join you all, then I'm not happy then I just leave and yeah. it's nice about me. That doesn't mm. work as well um, yeah. with our faith journey. So can you give us like maybe an um, a specific example on how we've currently served the structure instead of the structure serving us type of thing? So for example, um, people who, um, like my friends who are, uh, who see their work as their mission field, especially people mm. who mm. see that that is where God is calling them to. They want to spend time with, so I have a friend who's a teacher. She wants to first, uh, spend time with her students and all. And she sees that as, as her mission field, as where God has called her to be. Mm-hmm. But the church wants her to be serving in church, pulling her back to to into the church to to be serving as mm-hmm. a usher or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Serving yeah. sometime, some some yeah. some kind of things in church, and uh, requiring let's say that you know she has to be in church on Sundays, <laughs> and that Sunday worship gathering become almost like an idol. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like in our, in our times um, during COVID, I read this article by a Taiwanese. Um, actually, mm. I don't know if he or she, but this person was saying about how we have idolized um, mm. the Sunday or the weekly worship gathering. That, mm. for example, during MCO, what is the first thing that the churches are concerned about? How to put out a live stream worship yeah. service? Mm. But right. is that church? I mean, that, that, I mean, I think that's a problem, isn't it? Because we see mm. when we talk about church, people think of that weekly worship gathering mm-hmm. that even when we can't meet the first thing that people are thinking about is how do you put up this weekly worship thing so that people can yeah. watch this thing and participate mm-hmm. in kind of mm-hmm. worship but if we think of worship of, of, of church as community then you think mm-hmm. of the people what what about the people uh, during during lockdown how do we meet mm-hmm. <laughs> for example instead of watching some kind of live stream Mm. Uh, so yeah so like so for my back to my friend uh, that is I think that's one example like either it's, it's, it's become I think I think like one of my friend put it this way is he says that the church is too expensive uh, whether mm. in requiring mm. our time or our money mm-hmm. that mm. our generation don't have that kind of money to give mm. neither do, are we really willing to give that kind of time because mm. we, we really value our time and we invest our time in things that are meaningful for us. Mm. I can think of a few examples. I I know a pastor who was in a very big church in the US and he left the church. It was a combination of points, but he left that particular church because he found out or or it was kind of revealed that the church spent $18,000 a month operating the fountain water feature outside um, of the church that just the water feature itself to maintain it for the water bill for everything 
it was $18,000 a month. And he left what he referred to as, you know, the fastest growing Asian American church at that time. Mm. And he was, you know, someone who was tapped to uh, uh, be, in a sense, a successor of, of sorts. And he just couldn't really stomach the fact that so much resource, you know, was going into this versus that it could go to other causes. And I find it really interesting that um, I have heard proponents of extravagance in church mm. who say that, oh, you're doing it unto the Lord. Use the passage where Judas approaches Jesus after Mary, the sister of Martha, right, breaks her uh, inheritance, that jar of perfume at Jesus' feet. And Judas goes, couldn't that have been sold? So the money he go to the poor. And I've heard people use that and say, look, not all the money needs to go to the poor. Mm. Not all the money needs to go in outreach. Sometimes you just do extravagant things for the Lord because you love him. But yet somehow I cannot shake the fact that I think Jesus could care less about an $18,000 a month fountain running in his name. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but that kind of, you know, evokes the, the self-serving aspect of church, right? I mean, all three mm. of us here have been... Um, in ministry or doing ministry or in a sense, you know, we are missional mm -hmm. people where we are. Melanie, you are um, a pastor's kid as well. Mm. Um, mm. So we, we, we're not, I, I, mm. I guess what I'm hearing is it's, it's not this like, I'm tired of this system. I'm just going to flip the table, mm. screw you. I'm out of here. But it's a very intentional reconsideration or, you know, as your project is reimagine church, right? Um, it's a very intentional process. What have you kind of been doing to explore something different with church? So my research, um, my research topic is this, this area. So I'm trying to um, think through some of these questions. And one of the approach that I'm uh, learning is this, thing called ethnography, theological ethnography, uh, where we're studying the ground and understanding the issues on the ground and what, what people are actually saying, what's actually happening mm. on the ground. That's the real church. I mean, not the ideal church, the, the mm -hmm. conceptual church that we're thinking about. Um, and in that journey of starting that research, I was talking to my friends and, all, and I was saying, you know, the best is I can experiment this with some people. But I, mm. there's no one uh, around me who I can experiment this with because these people that I know who are struggling with church, they're all over Malaysia. They're all in different places. Mm. Um, and then after MCO, someone approached me and said, hey, uh, <laughs> basically talk about this question about church and how MCO has really uh, made him rethink what is church and and, mm. and now that they have children, they cannot go to church because they're too young. So he's asking whether I want to come together and do something like that. And he's initiated that. Mm. I had this conversation with a few other people and it seems like there are quite a, a number of people in my community who is asking this question of what is church, dissatisfied with how we have been doing church or how we, how we define what church is mm -hmm. and wanting to come together to experiment. So it's like God giving me this gift of this, this group of people who come mm -hmm. together and basically we, we have been meeting since what? August last year, I think, nice. uh, and from the first batch. Yeah, and June, that's, sorry, January, some people join us. And 
we have been trying different things. We have been looking at uh, so in so <laughs> maybe my approach is a bit too uh, intellectual, academic, like you say. I don't know if that's very helpful. But we started off with uh, doing a survey of the diff- the reason uh, church movements. Ecclesial mm. movements, mm. Uh, like the missional church movements, the house church movements, uh, the gospel gospel city uh, church movements, the mm. new monasticism, uh, the fresh expressions, emergent church, you know, those those streams. And you see that in the last 20 years, especially, uh, we've seen so much all around the world that's happening. People are all asking this question, all coming up with different um, models of church and one of the other main model that we look at is this thing called underground network uh, in in Florida uh, so they they are looking at they are doing church in a in a very different way I think they are the first who really gave me an alternative because mm. you know, we, we talk about reimagining church but if there is no alternative we cannot see beyond what we what we now conceptualize as church right mm-hmm. so for example how uh, underground network uh, they do churches. They have this thing called micro churches. Uh, so from they start from the place of calling. Uh, what is what is uh, God putting in your heart to do? You know whether you you talk about calling or gift of the Spirit, but mm. it's it's um, basically a priesthood of all believers. Uh, but not just as in a salvation and soteriology kind of understanding of us having that approach that that direct in. A relationship with God, but also priesthood of all believers in our ecclesiology. So everyone is mm. a minister. So from then, uh, from that, they they have this idea of a micro church, where a micro church is a group of people who come together to be on a mission together. So mm. for example, if a group of people they have a heart for um, the uh, sex workers, then they they are reaching out to that a group. Yeah for university students, uh, for the poor, the migrants, and the, all that become micro-churches. Mm. So they um, they talk about three things, which is, which is also what Howard Snyder talked about. So in every uh, micro-church, you have to have worship, community, your fellowship, your, so your, your, the relationship within mm. the group, and mission. So worship, community, and mission. So in the life of the community together, uh, you have to put in th- this tree. So, for example, if mission is your strong point, you already have, like, you're reaching out to the sex workers, for example, then you intentionally include worship and community as part of your life. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to meet every Sunday or every yeah. every week for that worship. Mm. You know, you can you can meet in different intervals. Why not daily? Why not monthly? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our preoccupation with this weekly, I think, is one of the things that hinders mm-hmm. us from thinking creatively outside the box of mm-hmm. what um what could be. So we started off looking uh looking at all these different uh approaches um or movements, mm-hmm. um and then we look at different images of the church in the Bible. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we talk about that and what does that mean for how we do church, and then uh starting from January. Uh, it seems like, to my surprise, one of the things that uh, the group really caught on is uh, the new monasticism, actually. Uh, to So drawing from the monastic movement and think of how do we do church from uh, learning from the new monastics. Can you define briefly what the new monastic movement is? Okay, the new monastic movement, so we, we know about the monasteries, right? So the old monasteries, like... Mm. Desert Fathers, the Benedictines, the Franciscans, uh, they are 
they are actually maybe the their heart is almost the same as us in a sense because they are people who see a problem with church mm. and they came they came out and they went on their own and tried to live out their spirituality or their relationship with God in in a, mm. in a different way. Uh, but in the new monasticism, how is it new? How is it different from uh, the old? Is that uh, one? It is not a lifelong vow because for the nuns and the monks, it's a, usually a lifelong. So this is not a lifelong vow. It's not a state in community. So so for monastery, mm. usually they live together, right? But for new monastics, uh, they may not live together. So they, they may just mm. live in our own homes. And the third thing is, uh, it's not a celibacy vow. <laughs> mm. You can get married, so it's not. Is not because uh, the first thing usually you talk when you talk about uh, or you want to be part of a monastery is that or, or the monastic is that uh, you're not going to get married, but that's not uh, a must. But basically, drawing from their spirituality because mm. there's so much that we can learn from. Have you interacted with uh, Shane Claiborne or Francis Schaeffer's ideas? Because I know I'm both of them. Francis Schaeffer has a few communities that he started while he was still alive Hmm. Um, in Switzerland I think one in England there's a couple more in the US and then Shane Claiborne is more popularly known in the US as a pacifist as a new monastic leader and I think as well maybe from the Catholic side John Talbot Hmm. um, famous musician uh, um, psalmist really I would say maybe um, who started a community for single Catholics. And um, funnily enough, he got married, but he continued um, hosting this this kind of community. Like, Have you interacted with their ideas or, or you know, some of their writings and stuff? Uh, not in detail. So three of the communities that we look at, uh, because we're, we're not so much thinking of being a monastery, right? Mm-hmm. I see how, what we can learn uh, in how we um, become a church, be, mm. become a community of church. And so the tree that we look at is, is Linda's Fund. I think it's one of that you're talking about. Um, there's the Wellspring, Wellspring New Monastic Community that it's built into part of the mm. church uh, and the young Franciscan because I think the Franciscans, mm. there's so much we can learn from them, how they live, out, live that out in their daily mm. life. Yeah, so that is the tree that I interacted with. You've been very careful to clarify that Reimagine Church is not a house church project, which tends to be the broad stroke that more institutionalized church will be like, oh, okay, this is house church movement. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about like why this clarification, why this di- disclaimer? Yeah, like like you say, I think when you don't attend a church that has like a name <laughs> with a denomination mm-hmm. that meets regularly on a Sunday, you if you do anything outside of that, people say, "Oh, you're part, you're, oh, you're starting a house church." Mm-hmm. Um, but house church, house church, what kind of house church? I mean, house mm-hmm. church is kind of a, a, a just a broad name they portray around, all meaning different things. You do different things in the house and not. Even not every house church meet in a house, <laughs> so mm. so it 
it's just such a, a broad category that it's not really telling you anything. I mean, if, if it's a house church, you are doing exactly what you're doing in the, in the institutional church. Mm-hmm. You're just moving the location to a house. Yeah. Then actually, you're not doing anything very different because you're, you're still keeping that whole structure. You're just changing the location. Which is, again, interesting in itself because earlier you talked about alternative, right? If you don't have an alternative, you cannot look beyond what is conceptualized now as church. But somehow we are stuck in this three songs, offering, message, you know, like we're stuck in this thing that even even when, uh, I mean, even, even in my own church, when we want to move the singing to, sometimes you want to change things up a bit, right? So we put the singing at the back, but it's so unusual. Like people don't really know, like, hey, you know, have have we done church today? Or if the sermons are not practical. Mm. Lauren and I were just talking about this the other day, you know, where we talk about good exegesis versus trying to place ourselves within scripture and how we end up reading so many things into scripture because we don't do the process. We are so often just so quick. We're so quick to contextualize. We don't even go back to really studying the original context, really reading the scripture for itself. So mm. we're kind of stuck in this little frame of how we've been raised with church, how even mm. we received the order, the liturgy of what church looks like from you know, our colonizers from uh, missionaries who mm. came from colonizing countries, right? So what do you do to break out of those? What's something unique about not just moving location from an auditorium to a little living room and doing the exact same thing? How do you break free from those structures with Reimagine Church? Mm. Before I answer this question, right, let me just mm. go back a bit to what you were talking about of this being something that you know it's like transplanted from the western paradigm so yeah. one of the people is I think it's called George Lins he was talking about this um, how is it that worship become the main thing about the church that we are we are gathering around worship weekly uh, mm. and he says this is actually from the, the parish church because in the past the whole parish I mean the, in, in the western world or whatever you call it they're all Christians already right I mean, mm-hmm. of the, the name Christians already. And so um, there's no need for missions because everyone is already Christian. So the only mission is uh, overseas mission. So they have, they set up special religious orders for mission. So it's for the special people. So mm-hmm. mission is kind of split away from the church. So the church, and, and also because you kind of stay in the same place, in parish kind of understanding. So that whole place, you already have people taking care of community, the relationship between people. So the only thing that the church needs to take care of is worship. Uh, mm. And we kind of, when, when Christianity came here, is is they, they kind of transplanted that same model here mm. in our, on our ground, that the only thing that the church needs to take care of is worship. So we we have this idea that you know church is just weekly worship gathering, which is why you know a lot of churches they have this thing called cell group or whatever that mm. you 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 kind of have time where you are interacting with each other. So that's actually mm. the, the community bit. But for a lot of us, we are still struggling to have that missions bit being built mm. into part of our structure mm. of the church. Yeah, so I think that is there's one example of how mm. how the historical understanding of what the church is development of what the church is has impacted us, so to speak. Mm. So how do we um, 
come up with from this model. I think one of so one of the things that we're trying to do uh, or the language that we use is this thing called church gathered and church uh, dispersed or scattered. So when you come together, church. So so we are we are church, right? Jeffrey, you keep saying we are church. <laughs> yeah. So if us, it, newsflash, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so if we individual, are, uh, individual person, we are church yeah. in our life in everything that we do, we carry that. That is who we are. So that's church dispersed, so to speak. So in our everyday life, that covers everything. It's not a mm. sacred, kind of secular, this, everything else is secular. No, it's not. Everything else mm. that we do is part of our, our identity. We're living out of identity as Christians. Mm. Uh, but when we come together, it's church gathered. Uh, so, for example, how we usually think of church is this weekly worship gathering is the place mm. we gather. But what, what if we gather around different things other than worship? What if we gather over uh, missions, for example, like the mm. microchurch example that I talked about earlier, right? So they gather around missions. So what if you gather around mm. community? So like one of the things that you have a heart for is, is the mental health uh, issues in church. So what if we, we become community, a safe community where people can find that kind of um, the AA 12 steps, <laughs> that kind of mm. um, uh, a community where people find healing in. So there mm. are different ways that we can gather um, uh for so to speak yeah mm. so um one of the things that our community is trying to do is we are uh, trying to develop a rule of life for ourselves uh, mm. so this idea of rule of life is is taken also from the the monastic community so because they live together right so they have certain mm. like a schedule their rule where they have uh, morning so they have like five to seven times of, or maybe more prayers uh, a day throughout the day and then they have labor and then they have rest. So they basically their days are scheduled around prayer, labor, rest, prayer, labor, rest, prayer, labor, rest. Mm. Um, but because we don't stay in a monastery, we don't live together, mm. we have our lives, we have our responsibilities. Yeah. Um, so how do we live intentionally in our station in life uh, where we are and live intentionally in everything that we do uh, and to come up with not just, not just drift, not just let things take over, you know, and just, mm. just live life, but live intentionally in every area of our life and bring that into prayer and ask mm. God for his invitation for us in that area and to intentionally live it up. So we have been, uh, the, the Reimagining Church community, we've been doing that for three, four months now, mm. uh, meeting in, in our groups, uh, thinking about these different areas, working through reflection questions, coming together to share that mm. uh, with one another. So this is important because this, this deals with the issue of the church dispersed uh, aspect mm. of church, not just mm. church gathered. Yeah, so that is that is something that mm. we're trying to do. I'm not, not prescribing anything for anyone. Mm. Mm. I think every, every community we have to um, figure out or discern what is it that God is calling us, or inviting mm. us to, and for us to find our own expression uh, in mm. that. Yeah. That's so cool. The, no, I, I'm just going to ask a bit more about your community. So it's one of the things that you guys do together is d study or do research about some of these things together? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, Who's creating the questions? <laughs> the reflection <laughs> questions? <laughs> uh, so we are, we are using one book la, for a rule of life. Okay. Uh, so we are following one of the books. 
um, for for that. Yeah. Nice. So you're the pastor of this church. No. <laughs> <laughs> she just said she's resisting that kind of language. We are all ministers, okay? Priesthood of all believers. Amen. Just one broad stroke again, not the capital back into the I do I do think, I mean, uh, leadership is needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I have problem with this this word pastor because <laughs> we always use pastor. I mean, even like we're we're familiar with the fivefold ministry, Correct. and yeah. we all um, are gifted in different ways. Mm. But when we only see all church leaders, we only see the pastoral side of it. What about people who are not really pastoral? Like pastoral mm. is not really my gifting. Mm. <laughs> I'm well, not very pastoral. Pastoral is not preaching actually. Right? I know. That's teaching. Pastoral is taking care of the needs of the people. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I'm not really resisting. Like- and Melanie ain't got time for that. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I got my own needs, guys. <laughs> but I think like if we, we if we can take away that kind of mm. like you, you talk about putting people in pedestal, right? Mm, like if we okay. can take away that kind of labeling, right? Then mm. we can enable everyone to to flourish mm. in their thing and to rise up in what God has called them to for, for the sake of the community or outside. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned, so you talked earlier, you said like, we're gathered around worship. I think I want to maybe look deeper into that term because again, we bring pretext to even what it means when we say worship, right? Worship to us now means singing songs i mean this maybe is not not something talked about now but i remember five ten years ago when the language used was uh, with worship leaders was oh are we doing a praise song or worship song correct right because yeah. we have praise and worship time so praise yeah. you know is it's jumping up and down songs, yeah. loud yeah fast songs mm. and then worship is a slow moody emotional kind you know um 15 years ago like not five years ago not five years ago <laughs> I may be late to the party. Um, <laughs> no, but so so again, like in, in that sense, you know, we bring that pretext, but isn't eating and drinking mm. worship unto mm. like you know, we do it unto the Lord. Everything you do unto the Lord is essentially worship, right? Mm. But that's too too wide a category, I think, for some of us that we have to be like, okay, worship is the time of singing that we sing together versus thinking about every moment in our life yeah. as an act of worship, yeah. right? Which is, which is not, um, it's, it's increasingly becoming an unfamiliar thought, yeah. right? For many of us, at least. Um, and then again, also, you know, what you're talking about makes me think of these little micro churches makes me even think of the beginnings of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is a denomination today. I went to their college. I served in, mm. in a couple of Alliance churches. I've worked with the Alliance movement um, globally and in the US. But it didn't start as that. It started out of a concern for Italian immigrants moving into New York. That's why this Presbyterian pastor, mm. A.B. Simpson, um, started this group that he called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which was people gathering together after their Sunday services, after their church. It was like a parachurch thing. 
mm. where they would meet two, three hours, study the scriptures together to talk about missions and seeing the importance of partnering between local believers and missionaries, the idea of gathering together to send someone out. Right. Right. And Toza eventually became, I think he's either the vice president or the president of, of the group. But what I have seen or observed in the last 10 years, at least nine years, going to the US, working, going to an Alliance college, working at Alliance churches, leaving, coming back now, working with a global community of international mm -hmm. workers, is to see that how easy it is for things to again become disconnected, to move into that very convenient parish mindset mm -hmm. where the church is only responsible, the local church is responsible for the well-being of the parishioners in particular in preparing through skilled musicians and skilled lighting and skilled technicians to create this worship experience. Mm -hmm. And then again, the missions movement is kind of sidelined or pushed, you know, to the side. Um, so mm -hmm. again, like how easy, you know, sometimes people, maybe they will ask, if what we are doing is not the way church is supposed to be, how come this is the primary way of doing things, mm. right? How come, you know, you mentioned the Benedictines, the Franciscans, you know, they kind of formed their own orders, but they still retained their association or membership with the Catholic Church, which then the Catholic Church was spending so opulently going on all these indulgent crusades, mm. right? At the whims and fancies of these popes. And how come, you know, that thing still exists? And for me, it's like, because it's the most convenient method of mm. doing church it's the most you know like after you know stretching my arm out the most relaxing or convenient position is retracting right is mm. relaxing those muscles is coming back to that posture and i feel like for better or for worse we have a resting posture in church movement and it looks like mm. church today and so yeah i, I mean i i think that's where mm. i i see how um what you're doing is you know it's not new but it is in many ways revolutionary because it's never really become mm. part of a bigger church experience for the very mm. simple fact that it's inconvenient mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i've been done this for three four months and actually more than that six six months Mm -hmm. I can attest to that that the most the easiest way is to say okay mm -hmm. everyone we are meeting every Sunday this time you come <laughs> mm, correct, <laughs> because correct. any to, to do anything else or to do anything differently mm -hmm. you need to take into account people's schedules people's mm -hmm. ideas what people yeah. think about church it's, it's difficult yeah. it is difficult yeah. yeah well we're not looking for democratic well, first of all, there are problems with the idea of democracy in itself. But yeah. we're not we're not really wanting to engage democratically. I mean, you look at the people mm. of Israel, right? When they were invited to meet with the Lord, mm. they told Moses, you go. Mm. Right? It is within us, built in us to at the same time be rule followers and be rebels at the same time. Like something within us craves mm. being told what to do. Yeah. So that we can have the free will to choose to rebel <laughs> against it. Yeah. So it's 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 so much easier to say, okay, I'll look to so and so. I'll look to mm. Melanie. Melanie, you tell me what to do. I'll do what you want me to do until it's doesn't sit right. Then you know, like mm. so. I feel like that's kind of the human mm. experience. Mm. Yeah. That just keeps yeah. happening and happening, and happening. That we see, you know, it's not necessarily 
quote unquote democratic decisions, right? Mm. We look to the one person, which feeds that pedestal mm. um, thing, feeds the martyr mindset of, well, since, you know, this position is thrust upon me, you know, so unfairly, so then I can take indulgences to kind of soothe and appease myself. And that's the transgression part that comes in where someone at the top feels so lonely and isolated and feels like mm. all the burden is on me. So I need to find a way to cope. Or maybe it's not even that cerebral, right? It's just a natural mm. response. And then something like, you know, soliciting a prostitute or embezzling funds, you know, those things happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want to bring back um, the conversation to what you said about, you know, um, not having to meet weekly. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to throw in a thought here that I think is pretty common, which is, but what about the Sabbath, right? Mm. And what about, you know, the command to um, honor the Sabbath and to, and to keep one day of the week holy before mm. the Lord? And most people would say, oh, you know, uh, what do you do in the Sabbath? You know, mm. you go to church, right? And so it's kind of like they equate Sabbath with going to church or like doing church, like going for a church service, right? Mm. So it's almost like, oh, you know, like that's why on every Sunday you must go to church, you know? Mm. So what do you say about that concept about the Sabbath and church? Mm. Let me ask you, Jeffrey, do you mm. feel like you're resting when you are going to church? <laughs> um, uh, Honestly, not, not well, really. Because we are producers though. We are producers of church. Yeah, especially when you're serving and people get burnt out serving because they're so tired and that like a Sunday just becomes such a day of work. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, if for, for the people who are just going to sit in something for an hour and leave, maybe that feels like Sabbath to them. But I think for mm. a lot of people and especially those who are struggling with this idea of church, there are people who are serving. The people mm. who are involved in this, there are people who... Um, has gone through this and and honestly going to church doesn't feel like Sabbath mm. isn't Sabbath to them isn't rest to them mm. um, and yeah I think the the whole idea of Sabbath is that you take a rhythm of rest uh, and for, Sabbath for Israel they, they don't go to worship during Sabbath do they, mm. they their main thing for Sabbath is a Sabbath meal is you mm. spend it with your family you're with you're with your mm. your your family and your community, uh, and you're actually resting uh, in that place. Yeah. So that is that is I guess one of the question I have is what what does the Sabbath mean for us in this time? Mm. Um, and mm. that again that bring down what is worship, right? Mm. So one of the ideas or questions that I have, or like idea like ideas like just, I'm just playing with is that. You know, uh, Israel, they gather three times a year uh, in uh, in Jerusalem for the three main feasts. Um, mm. What if uh, the whole church meeting together is a, is a three, three times a year, that kind of thing, or three, four times a year, that kind mm. of thing. Instead of uh, we're, every week we're trying to fit in a Sunday service, a Bible study, mm. a, a worship practice, a cell mm. group, a mm. prayer meeting, mm-hmm. and that takes up like four or five days of people's uh, people's weeks. Because mm. um, one of one of the people in 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 my community was saying that 
you know, like they were talking about church renewal, their, her previous church, they're studying about all these things. They're talking about small group. Yeah, we need to have small group. We need to have cell group. Mm. Um, but at the same time that you go to cell group and small groups, you still have to come back to church on Sunday. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, I can't find it in the Bible. <laughs> mm. like, I, I, they don't know where to, mm. to, 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 to draw that from. Uh, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying mm. not to, don't do uh, a Sunday worship mm. or whatever. But if we can free our mind from a church being weekly worship, what if it's monthly, monthly, or even two times a month? Right, so you then it frees two other weeks for you to do something else with your church, uh, it, with with your group. Either you can do your your Bible study, or you can be involved in missions together, or just let them have time for their own time with God, mm. uh, to learn to to take ownership of your faith in that sense. So, all three of us come from churches. Um, at least we have some church experience where we we come from smaller churches. Right. So my parents are pastors of a small church. I sometimes see their fear or I understand their fear that if they don't plan something for the congregants, that they will forget God or they will forget to remember, you know, times with the Lord and all of that. I'm wondering how much of of it really plays into some of the fear that the need to meet weekly or to to always have um we call it accountability but sometimes it's more of a church policing than really accountability right are you reading your bible are you praying are you aligned to scripture is this mm. what you believe you know how much of it is rooted in the fear from church leaders, rationalized by some predictable human behavior that if we don't do something for them, they won't do something for themselves. Mm. And I, yeah, this was one of the thoughts that I've I've kind of wondered about. In in that same article that I read about from the Taiwanese, he's also talking about this um of of church leaders we see. Uh, the people in church as as sheep, uh, like as as people who need to like like you say need to be uh, taken care of. They cannot feed themselves, and mm-hmm. and I don't know if if continuing to do this is mm. almost feeding into into that kind of dependency. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that there is this thing called faith development, right? So there is mm-hmm. a journey. You know, people need that kind of phase where. They are in that kind of phase where they need this kind of structure uh, weekly to, to help them grow. To, and for them, faith, uh, it's it's conformity. It's conformity mm. to what the, the authority is telling you to. And I think there are mm. people in that kind of uh, faith, faith, uh, faith journey and in that phase that they need that kind of structure. And yeah, I mean, by all means, <laughs> yeah. mm. I don't know if, if us trying to make sure I, I, I think my thing mm. is more uh, leaders who are trying to make sure people don't make mistakes <laughs> mm. mm. our God doesn't do that you know yeah. he doesn't make sure we never make a mistake you know he doesn't stop at them or if yeah. right there before they take yeah. it he's, yeah. he's not like that he allow 
people to to he give us free will and that's mm. that's really free that's that's real you know and, mm. and allow people to make those mistakes and mm. he are there for he's there for them uh, to redeem he's not afraid of, mm. of that and he is he he's he's because he's always there and it's his, his wisdom is redeeming mm. from whatever mistake that there is yeah so mm. I, i think we maybe sometimes leaders we are too afraid of that and we're trying to take responsibility for other people's faith. Mm. And that's something that in, in in my community, especially, I made that very clear. Like, if you don't want to, if there is a week you cannot come, you there's a decision mm. you need to make. That You need to make that decision in your prayer with God. I mean, you mm. talk to God about it. You don't ask me about it. Because I tell mm. you yes or no, actually, it's not the most important. Because mm. you're not trying to seek my approval. Right, mm-hmm. you, are, you you have to ask God yourself about mm-hmm. about this decision that you make, how you want to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so hard to do, though. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're so programmed yeah. with guilt and shame. Correct. Like, Correct. As I reflect more, you know, I've heard stories about how yeah. or I've watched movies about how you know Catholics grow up, and all they talk about is experiencing guilt and shame within the Catholic Church, and then I'm like. Mm-hmm. Shit, is the Protestant Church the new Catholic Church? Because <laughs> we are just I'm it's I'm pumped with all these ideas, you know, speakers and mm. you know pastors and leaders who have like, oh, if you don't do this, ah, uh, you know, God's gonna be very disappointed. You're gonna let people doubt, you know, and, and so that mm. becomes the the main. Uh, um, it's not even you know people talk about how oh millennials are passion driven and boomers are obligation driven. Mm. I'm like most of us are shame and <laughs> guilt driven. Mm. We true. show up because we are, you know, afraid. Mm. Mm. You know, we we are afraid of what people will say if we don't show up. We'll be afraid of what people will say if we if we say, hey, I'm taking a break for a while. Right. That mm. that that main question of, am I still accepted within my community? Right. Because the belonging to this community or the association or membership is doing something a certain way. Now that I don't do it this way, am I still part of this community? Thanks for tuning into today's episode of the Dip Chew Podcast. This is the first episode of a two-part series with our guest today, Melanie Lim. Original music was created by John Dip Silas.